Richard Radio begins in three, two, one. Live in the freedom that God loves you unconditionally. And He loves you unconditionally. God's love for you is unconditional. Preaching that God loves you unconditionally is the wrong message. God has a good will towards everybody, believers and non-believers. But there is another love reserved only for those who embrace the gospel and put their trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. to play Elvis live? The answer is yes. Yes, I will. It's impossible Tell the sun to leave the sky Ah, man, this is Wretched Radio. It's just impossible. It's impossible To ask a baby not to cry it's, it's, it's just impossible to tell a baby boy that you're actually a baby girl. I promised we wouldn't talk about this subject unless we thought we had something valuable to contribute to the conversation about gender and gender identities. And so it is stumbled into an article from the American Reformer. <laughs> it's a little hard, but helpful when you and I go about the business of trying to engage our culture in a conversation about Genesis, because that's where genders were established. In order for us to try to persuade people about pinks and blues, our primary source is the Bible. And yet, we can use some thinking, some science to help people understand, no, you can't change genders. There are two words that you and I must grasp in order to tag along in this article titled The Impossibility, Man, of Transgenderism. Sorry. Can I hold you closer to me? Yeah, this is the last time I sang this song live, man. It was kind of hard to remember the words after this. But the second, but I never think of you. Oh, how impossible. Word number one, Fenno. Typical. Uh, thank you, English language. It should be pahenotypical, but it's PH, phenotypical traits. That's the externals of you, how you present yourself. When a child is born, everybody in the room looks at the body parts and goes, ah, it's a boy, it's a girl. Those are your phenotypical traits. Your genotypical traits or genotypical traits, uh, that's your genetic stuff. So pretty self-explanatory. Pheno, physical. Geno, genetic. Chromosomes, your hormones. That's what makes you you scientifically. Now, let's jump into the article to understand why it is impossible for people to actually change genders, because that's what they're trying to persuade us we can do. Sex changes from this article are no more, this is a helpful line, than cosmetic procedures which alter the phenotypical traits of an individual. Now, you can cut off my nose and take some skin from elsewhere and make it look like an ear and put it on the front of my face, but it's not an ear, or it's not, an, it's, it's not actually an ear because it doesn't function that way. 
And you didn't change my genotypical traits. You don't become something else through cosmetic surgery. If it is not possible to alter the person's genotypical traits, and it's not, nor to maintain, this is important to the reproductive capabilities of the person's phenotypical traits, even after they've gone through mutilation, then it's not possible to change one's biological sex. The biology can't be changed. All we're doing is mutilating people and saying, look, they sort of present themselves as, well, now how you present yourself, that gets to be a bit of a tricky issue, but what makes you you isn't just the way you present yourself. Oh, that's part of it, to be certain. But it is also what your body is capable of doing for reproduction. That, that's why we have these parts in part. And that doesn't change when you go through cosmetic surgery. When the phenotypes of an individual are altered, the individual is rendered infertile, destroying, not replacing the individual's sexual organs. So a, a girl who, oh, that we do this to children, gets a double mastectomy so that she can feel like a boy. Well, no, no we've, we've just mutilated you. We've destroyed part of what makes you contribute to the reproductive process. It is not possible to truly change one's biological sex, even if one is able to do so, by modifying one's physical body so that you look a little different. If our biological sex is discovered, not assigned, that's a, that's a little linguistic trick these days, isn't it? Hey, we as, you were assigned that gender at birth. Hey, no, we all have eyes to see. We didn't assign a gender. We simply discovered what it was when it appeared out of the womb. Don't let them play that trick on you. If our biological sex is based on phenotypical and genotypical traits, which develop naturally toward reproductive ends, and if it's not possible to change one's sex, then it's immoral to tell children that they can choose what sex they want to be. It's immoral to encourage children to think about what sex they want to be as if they could choose. It is immoral to insist on giving hormone blockers to children who are doubting and confused. It's immoral. Here's an illustration. Put this one in your back pocket. Would society deem it morally good to inhibit the natural growth of a child's ears, eyes, tongue, because, well, they're not certain about whether or not they identify as able to see or as blind or able to hear or as deaf, able to speak or as dumb. We would say, oh, this child needs help. Mom and dad, I want to get rid of these eyes because I identify as blind. Uh, no, 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 no. Your eyes are for seeing. That's how you're made. Bingo! Your genitalia tell you that's how you're made because of what they do in the reproductive process. Would it be considered morally good to remove a person's eyes, ears, tongue because later in life they decided to identify as blind, deaf, or dumb? So why is it considered morally permissible, in fact, brave, said our president, to modify sexual organs of an individual cosmetically? because they think 
that they feel like another gender. They think that that this isn't what I'm supposed to be. With that in mind, I almost teared up when I read this. About three, Jimmy, how long ago was it? Maybe it was maybe it was even before you joined us. When people started saying, I, I don't feel like a man. Oh, man, yeah. I feel like a woman. Right. Yeah, what does that feel like? Yeah. And I asked you, Jimmy, what does it feel like to be a man? And you can't even describe it in your, like, what does that feel like? Well, in this particular article, they tackle that subject regarding bats. Thomas Nagel, in an article, what is it like to be a bat? Raised the question of the possibility of knowing the subjective experience and feelings of another. Hey, what does it feel like to be a bat? You'd go, well, I don't know what it feels. I mean, um, they fly and eat bugs and like there's something about echoes and stuff. Okay, well, you can observe what they do, but you can't identify how they feel. Quote, insofar as I can imagine, it tells me only what it would be like for me to behave as a bat behaves. But that isn't the answer to the question. What does it feel like for a bat to be a bat? And if we try to imagine it, we're restricted to the resources of our own minds. And those resources are inadequate to the task. And so we have young people saying, well, I just feel like I should be a, a girl. They, they can see the performance, and which is why I think you see these outrageous caricatures, very offensive in my opinion, about women. Well, the women, they wear eyelashes and lots of makeup and big hair. And that's how I feel. No, that's how you maybe want to present yourself. But that's not how a woman feels. You can't feel like you're a woman if you're a man and vice versa. We cannot form more than a schematic conception of what it is like. The subjective character of the experience of a person, deaf and blind from birth, is not accessible to those of us who can see and hear. I, we, Furthermore... Let's just say I observe bats and I said, you know, I feel like that. First of all, I, I don't know what it feels like. My senses are limited. So I really am a bat. And so I go to a hospital, probably in Philadelphia or what, where is it? Pittsburgh, where they're doing this all the time. And they sew, they take, they take some skin and they sew little wings on my back. Thank you. Thank you. Now I feel like a bat. I, cause now I am a bat. You'd go, well, no, you, you got some floppy skin back there. No, those are wings. Actually, they're not because they don't perform that way. You simply had your body altered. Why? Because it's impossible to change your sex and gender, man. In the ocean, don't let them deceive the you. God made you the way he made you for a purpose. This is Wretched Radio Man. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Master's Academy International. 
training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines. Not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles to believers in TMAI-trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send, how many seminaries you might support overseas. To learn more, visit wretched.org slash pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org slash Bible. There's a reason we talk so much about biblical counseling around here. It's because it works. Transformed, our biblical counseling series, hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford and Dell Johnson, is returning for season number two. As a matter of fact, it is on sale right now, and Transform season two will demonstrate powerfully, I might add, that the Bible has solutions for our emotional problems. Doctors Johnson and Gifford don't merely teach biblical counseling, they show biblical counseling in action. In season two, you'll meet Christians that are struggling with the same things that likely you are. PTSD, anger issues, assurance, depression, discontentment, ADHD, abuse, anxiety, self-pity, and you'll see with your own eyes that the Bible is sufficient for all life godliness and emotional challenges. Transform Season 2. It's on sale right now at transformed.org. That's transformed.org. Typical radio commercials will have one big shebang, the opening line. Do we have your attention now? This particular commercial has eight have we got your attention now? MediShare, affordable biblical health sharing, will save the average family $500 per month. Second, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to typical health insurance. Double, that's that's times two if you weren't homeschooled. A massive network of providers to choose from. MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. They've been around for 25 years. $4 billion in healthcare bills have been shared. If you call them now, you will save on the joining fee. They're going to erase it. That's another $170. This is a limited time offer, which means make it snappy. Call 1-844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Did I mention 844-34-BIBLE to get your MediShare quote in under two minutes? Know your reformers. Jan Hus, a Czech priest, was inspired by the writings of John Wycliffe to preach against papal access and false doctrines such as transubstantiation. Even as he was burned at the stake by the Catholic Church, he continued to preach the gospel and sing the psalms. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Come on! What must you think of me if you thought I was going to play this? Honestly. And the ocean this is Wretched Radio. It's impossible. <laughs> Being equipped to engage our very confused world about something that you think is so obvious. And it is. But remember, gender is not as obvious as the existence of God. 
Whenever you scratch your head going, how can we think like this? How can we deny reality? How can we deny truth? How can we deny what is plain in the minds of all of us? And the answer is because we've already denied what is more obvious, and that is the existence of God. And that's what Romans 1 lays out. They deny God. They want to live any way that they want. And so we spiral. We descend into more and more foolishness because we now have permission. We've denied the big thing, these little things, piece of cake. With some help from the American Reformer, a well-done article from David Haynes. Nice job. I don't know what his pronouns are. I don't know if I should call him sir or, or, or madam, but that does raise a question. David, you think it's a he, don't you? Why? What about Pat? You'd go, well, well, it depends. It's... Why is a name masculine or feminine? And the answer is our society has determined that's what it represents. We make up these sounds. I mean, David, it's a, we know it's a biblical name. David, Hebrew, would be a, a name that has existed for a long time. But as a culture, we said that one's only for boys. Why? Well, David was a boy, but somewhere back in the line, They had to go, that's a boy's name and not a girl's name. And so it is in our culture. We see different cultural expressions of what it means to be male and female. And this is important because the world's going to say, but look at the exceptions. For instance, in Scotland, men wear kilts. That's like a skirt, dude. So clearly, men can wear skirts. No, that's, that's not what it is. Besides, it's deeper than that. It's a culturally assigned way that typically that gender presents themselves. And so from the article, very helpfully, the many examples of socially determined ways of expressing genders, which gender theorists, they like to throw it up. Huh? Huh? Look at at the way they're behaving. They tend to be descriptive. Here's another important word. Accidental rather than essential ways in which males and females act accidental and essential. A man cannot get pregnant. He can impregnate, but he can't get pregnant. Why? Because that's essential. Now, can he wear maternity clothes if he wants to? Well, sure, if he wants to, but that's an accidental expression. In other words, our culture said maternity clothes are for pregnant females. That's accidental. That doesn't change who the person is. We are literally putting lipstick on a pig and saying, look, it's a Miss USA pageant contestant. No, we've just put lipstick on a pig. It didn't change the pig and turn the pig into a beauty pageant contestant. Do we still have those? They seem sexist to me, I'm sure. This confuses the objective ways in which a person of a particular biological sex acts in relation to human reproduction. So when you've got those parts, those are essentials. You'll use this. Hey, uh, that, that culture, look at the men wear skirts in that African village. Zay, zay. No, that's just the way the culture has decided that men can dress and should dress in this culture. For example, from the article, they get into men wearing kilts, but social norms related to how a person acts, 
that's accidental. And those can change. And we need to recognize that. I always think about pants for women. Catherine Hepburn was a scandal because she wore pants. Today, you'd go, what woman wearing pants? That doesn't make her a man. That was the accusation 100 years ago. Why? Because heretofore, our culture said, no, women don't wear pants. And that changed. The culture decided it's acceptable. Now, it is interesting that for the most part, you've got women pants and men pants, which is why you've got different departments at stores. When will that be attacked, by the way? We must recognize there are sociocultural norms different from each culture, which describe how a man or a woman will dress, behave, what they're interested in, etc. So, for instance, culturally, we see different tra- things that boys like to do versus girls like to do. So what do we do when we see something that a girl likes to do that boys typically do? She likes to she's the one who likes to play with trucks. That's accidental. I mean, that's just cultural thing. There's a reason that we have boy toys and girl toys because they tend to gravitate. But those things also tend to be accidental, not essential. Let's get into the kilts, shall we? Kilts, not skirts, but not unlike skirts, not what a man typically wears in the States. But for some cultures, they do. Some cultures, Men do not wear pink. Jimmy, can I get a hearty amen to that? <laughs> For other cultures, they do. Other acti- other activity. Okay. In Europe, I, honestly, the first time I went to Europe, I was like, whoa, everybody's gay around here. Because I was, it's all these women walking arm in arm and, and men walking arm in arm. And it's like, whoa, what did they? Now, why did I have that impression? Because here, we don't do that. But over there, they do. That's accidental. It's not an essential. Now, if it goes beyond that with body parts, then you are getting into the territory of essential. Other activities, which have been occasionally designed as gender-specific, would include things as writing and appreciating poetry, wearing silky clothing, cultivating and appreciating flowers, baking, and designing clothing. Those, Those are culturally driven because in some cultures, uh, men used to be tailors. We tend now in our culture to go, well, women do the sewing. Well, in some cultures, no, that men do that. Same thing with cooking. You got to be careful. Now, we understand that they're expressions of gender preferences on the whole. But what the world will do is say, well, see, look at the exception right there. Therefore, because of that accidental expression of gender, that changes their essential. And they hop categories on us. These, however, are social constructs that are specific to each culture, and they are neither subjective experiences of the individual nor absolutely normative ways of identifying men or women. As such, one feels compelled to conclude that though there are objective ways of being male and female, they are directly related to the reproductive process. So we've got ourselves a a little scientific baseline here. Body parts. Remember the phenotypical versus genotypical. As such, we conclude there are objective ways of being male and female, but the culturally informed ones do not determine one's gender. That's exactly Corporal Klinger, that hairy dude in MASH who would put on women's clothing. Didn't change him at all. His thinking is confused. 
the many socially determined ways of expressing gender do not amount to an objective way of being what could be referred to as feeling like a woman or feeling like a man. And that is something that we really do well to remember from the article. They say someone says, yeah, but um, there are biological organisms that are capable of self-fertilization. They can change their biological sex when there aren't enough males or females for reproduction of the species. Hold it. That does happen. But that doesn't prove there's a third sex. Only that there are biological beings who are capable of playing the role of either male and female or of changing their role in order to ensure reproduction. And that actually implies that there are two biological sexes that are needed for reproduction. So the these exceptions that they, hey, we, we found an exception in a petri dish where they, they become, their males are able to become pregnant, but they're still males. That's all. And it simply proves that there are two genders. Same thing with the term intersex. They're intersex. What are they inter? Latin, between. What You got to have some sort of norm or standard to be between the norm or the standard. It is important to note that the human being is able neither to self-fertilize nor to change its role in the reproduction of the species. So sex changes out the door. Why? Well, <laughs> silly rabbit. It's because it's impossible. Thank you very much. <laughs> and tomorrow, should you ask me for the world? The king was in good voice that night, man. It was 1972 with the Las Vegas Hilton. Freel, we didn't ask. Genotypical, phenotypical. Essential versus accidental. Remembering those words will help you inform the world it is impossible to change your gender, man. This is Wretched Radio. Thank you very much. Important dates in Christian history. 732 AD, at the Battle of Tours, Charles Martel turns back the Muslim invasion of Europe. As Islam decimated the church in North Africa and the Middle East, Europe became the new center of Christianity. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Ah, the elegance of the Bible. Again, this is Wretched Radio. If you have been concerned about the continuity of scriptures, fret not, Christian. You are going to see again the elegance of scripture, that this is not a hodgepodge slapping together of a bunch of smaller books to make up one confusing whole. Oh, no. The Bible is elegant. We see themes running throughout the scriptures written by different authors in different languages on different continents. How else could a book like that be put together? Not by the power of man, but by the power of the Holy Spirit as he moved holy men of God to speak. And you're about to hear another demonstration of the elegance of your inspired Bible. Pastor Milton Vincent 
better title would be Shepherd Friel. It's the same word, but he's a shepherd. We tend to think pastor. He's the preacher. He's the one who runs the church. Well, a pastor is supposed to be a shepherd who tends to the sheep, who loves the sheep, who cares and nurtures the sheep. That's Milton Vincent in a nutshell. He's the author of Gospel Primer, a wonderful book we have available at wretched.org, preaching a Christmas sermon on Mary. Hey, be careful preaching about Mary. We're Protestants. Well, she's featured in the early part of the Gospel of Luke. She was found to be highly favored, and she was visited by an angel to announce, you're going to carry the long-expected prophet. Whoa. How did she respond initially at seeing an angel? Well, she was a little startled. But because of the words of the angel, she accepted the words of the angel when he said, you're highly favored. God is going to overshadow you. He is going to be the father of your child, not Joseph. He's going to be. She asks one question. How can this be? I'm a virgin. He responds, the Lord is going to be, if you will, the biological father of your child. The end. Okay. Off she went. But God didn't stop affirming this truth to Mary to calm any potential nerves, which you could imagine would be reasonable. Her cousin Elizabeth, she informed Mary, you're carrying the Messiah. Whoa. Furthermore, the baby in the womb leapt. Now, this is three witnesses, and Milton Vincent is about to remind us that the Bible, when it offers repetition, is is shining a spotlight on a verse saying, hey, pay attention to this, pay attention to this. When Mary visits Elizabeth, and it happened, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, she spoke with a loud voice, blessed are you among women. This this appears to be, if you will, a prophetic utterance revealed by the Holy Spirit, because we're not told how she learned of this, other than it's in the context of being filled with the Spirit. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped to my woman. Another, okay, what's up with the leaping? God has provided three witnesses that she would be the one who bore the son of God. It was the angel. It was Elizabeth. And it was the baby leaping. But wait, there's a fourth witness. And it reveals the elegance of the Bible. Your question would be, why would the leaping of John the Baptist and Elizabeth's womb be so important? And why would Elizabeth and Mary infer so much meaning from it? Well, to answer this question, we have to go back to the Old Testament, to the last chapter of the Old Testament, to Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, where God is speaking 400 years prior about the coming day of the Lord, and he makes this promise to his people. Listen to what he says in Malachi 4, 2. He says, and I quote, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall, unquote. By the way, as you listen to those words or see them in Malachi 4, 2, who's the son of righteousness? Well, you guys announced that this morning when you sang Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You said, Hail the Son of Righteousness. You proclaimed as you sang that the Son of Righteousness is Jesus. 
And in Malachi 4.2, God says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you, here's your response, you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. So notice the wording there. When the Son of Righteousness appears, his appearing will cause God fears to skip about like calves from the stall. One translation uses the word frolic to translate what the New American Standard translates as skip about. And another translation, I believe the ESV uses the word leaping. Most importantly, in the ancient Greek translation of this passage, Malachi 4.2, the Greek word translated skip about is skirtao, skirtao. The text says in the Greek translation, of the Old Testament, you who fear my name will skirtao like little calves. And the Greek word skirtao means to leap with playfulness and joy. So coming back to Luke chapter 1, verse 41, the Greek text reads this way. Look at verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby skirtaoed in her womb. And Elizabeth uses that same word, In verse 44, when she says to Mary, for behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby skirtaoed in my womb for joy. And this is why Elizabeth is immediately filled with the spirit and reacts the way that she does. God says in Malachi 4, 2, that when the son of righteousness appears, God fears will skirtao like lambs from the stall and Elizabeth's spirit filled baby in her womb does exactly That, as Mary is approaching, causing Elizabeth to conclude that the son of righteousness is in the womb of Mary. Whoa. Have you forgotten that the Bible can only be concluded to be, nice grammar, Friel, an inspired book? Then filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth began speaking things that only the spirit could have revealed to her and Mary would be able forever thereafter to testify and say, I simply greeted my elderly relative Elizabeth. And before I could tell her anything, she started blessing me and blessing the child in my womb and telling me that I am the mother of her Lord. And part of how she said that she discerned that, was from the baby in her womb, leaping for joy, consistent with the promise of Malachi chapter four, verse two. Well, all in all, Mary has now received testimony from three witnesses, Gabriel, a spirit-filled Elizabeth, and the baby in Elizabeth's womb. And we could add a fourth witness, and that is the prophet Malachi. Please listen to this shepherd preach to his flock. Mary never asked Gabriel for any extra evidence like Zacharias did, but that's what God chose to give her anyway after she surrendered herself to his will. And hearing about the leaping of the baby in Elizabeth's womb serves as the final straw for Mary. She's now a million miles away from the agitation that she was experiencing in verse 29, and she explodes in an anthem of praise, which we find beginning in verse 46. And some suggest that what we have here, beginning in verse 46, is the greatest song ever written. Look at verse 46 and following and appreciate the lyrics of her beautiful song. And I'm just going to read these without comment. 
And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. I'll comment. Mary knew she needed a savior. She knew she wasn't the co-redemptrix. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. What a song. After this, we're told in verse 56, and Mary stayed with her. She stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. In other words, she stays with Elizabeth until the birth of John the Baptist. And then she returns home waiting for the day about six months later when she will give birth to the Messiah. And that Story is recorded in Luke 2. We will hear none of Luke chapter 2 from Pastor Vincent. Instead, having reminded us of the elegance of the Bible, he's about to do, if you will, an altar call. He's about to call people to believe that Mary bore the long-expected prophet who is David's son, yet David's Lord. And he is going to do it with a tone that is tendered. It is a tone that is also persuasive. It is a tone that is simultaneously urgent. You're about to hear that call next. And it's a beauty on Wretched Radio. For your consideration, not one but two ways that you could strengthen the local global church, the Masters Academy International, training men in Los Angeles who then return to their home countries and open up mini seminaries to train pastors in their native land. That strengthens the local church. But there's another way you can do just that. We are partnering with the Masters Academy International to send Bibles to the Philippines, not just any Bible, MacArthur Study Bibles to believers in TMAI-trained churches. These efforts strengthen the local church. Would you please consider how many Bibles you might send, how many seminaries you might support overseas. To learn more, visit wretched.org slash pastor, or if you like the Bible sending idea, wretched.org slash Bible. Hey, thank you so much for joining us on Wretched Radio today. And don't forget to mark it in your calendar to look for on Saturdays, the brand new Transform podcast hosted by Dr. Greg Gifford. You can hear it at transform.org slash podcast or anywhere podcasts are heard. In the Transform podcast, Dr. Gifford takes a more in-depth approach to explaining issues that we're all facing and dealing with. What to do when you feel stuck? How are we to control our tongue and communicate with one another? These are things that Dr. Gifford teaches in depth on the Transform podcast. And you can hear new episodes Saturday mornings at transform.org slash podcast or again, anywhere podcasts are heard. And it's all made possible by the support 
support of our Gospel Partners. Just like every resource that we're able to provide here at Gospel Partners Media. And if you're not already a Gospel Partner, can I urge you to head over to wretched.org slash donate to get the answers that you're likely looking for. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Cool. Very cool. The Tomorrow Clubs now have 106 clubs in Romania. This year marks the celebration of the 25th anniversary of our ministry. But also, it is a very important milestone for Tomorrow Clubs Romania. Now, Tomorrow Clubs Romania has 106 clubs. That means 106 villages are hearing the gospel proclaimed to the kids who get saved. They bring the gospel home, parents get saved, and local churches get strengthened. Would you please consider supporting the Tomorrow Clubs? Not only do they have hundreds of clubs in Romania, Ukraine, Russia, Albania, all over Eastern Europe, and now in Africa. Would you please consider what might you do to bring the gospel to both Africa and to Eastern Europe? Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Know your church fathers. Clement of Rome lived from A.D. 30 to 100, was a student of the Apostle Peter, and served as the Bishop of Rome. He wrote a letter to the troubled church in Corinth, warning against envy and immorality, emphasizing humility and repentance. His letter continued to be read during worship services for 80 years. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Elegance! That demands a verdict. This is Wretched Radio. Pastor Milton Vincent, author of the Gospel Primer, senior pastor of Cornerstone Bible Fellowship in Riverside, California, preaching a Christmas message, which means he knows that there are visitors who aren't saved there. Furthermore, simultaneously, he knows there are believers there who do need to be encouraged and to hear the great news of the gospel. What you're about to hear, mostly uninterrupted, is Pastor Vincent delivering an altar call to those who are there who are not saved and preaching like a shepherd tenderly to a flock that needs encouragement and Maybe you do, too. If you recall, he was preaching through Luke chapter 1 that Mary was initially agitated, startled, worried at the appearance of an angel, and yet his words calmed her. Furthermore, the Lord in his kindness gave her the testimony of Elizabeth. Furthermore, God gave her the testimony of John the Baptist. Furthermore, he gave a fourth witness. Malachi 4, chapter 2, which says, When those who are born again see the Son of Righteousness, they are going to leap for joy. That's what John the Baptist did in the womb. Same word, skirtaod, for joy. That is the elegance of the Bible, and it demands a verdict. And that is exactly what Pastor Vincent is about to set forth. The only question for us this morning is how will we respond? to this account that we have heard and studied this morning. Let me give you a few ways we should respond. Number one, keep reading and consider the rest of the story. Like don't finish Luke one and say, wow, that's amazing. And then close your Bible. No, keep reading through Luke and the other gospel writers and the rest of the Bible and consider the rest of the story of Jesus Christ. 
at the very least, consider the way Jesus was born and then grew up and went on to deliver teaching like no one ever taught before. On top of that, he healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf, and he cleansed the lepers, and he made the lame able to walk again. He cast demons out of people, and he even raised the dead. Even more amazing than all of that, Jesus loved sinners and misfits who were always left overwhelmed with the grace and the truth that they experienced from Jesus. He spoke truth to them about themselves in ways that pierced their consciences like they had never experienced before, but he also loved them with a love that they never dreamed possible. This one knows me utterly, everything, and he loves me still. And then this same Jesus was crucified on a cross and shed his blood to give atonement for all of those sins that you and I have committed. And three days later, he was raised from the dead. And then shortly thereafter, he was ascended to the right hand of God, where he reigns now from on high. And ever since, he has been giving out salvation and the forgiveness of sins to everyone who looks away from themselves and from anything else and looks to him as their Lord and Savior and believes in him and calls upon his name. Everything about the life and ministry of Jesus was amazing, and it's all recorded right here in the Bible. And Luke, in our passage today, is simply telling us about the events surrounding his conception. So yes, consider what we've learned in our passage today, but read the Bible and learn more about Jesus as he is revealed in this book that we're studying this morning. And as you do that, I encourage you to believe what you read, to believe the truth about Jesus as it is revealed in the Bible, just as Mary did. When Elizabeth saw Mary, she said to her in verse 45, blessed is she who believed and may such a benediction be spoken over you too, as you respond to the revelation of God in the Bible about Jesus. If you are here today and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ and called upon his name for salvation, I urge you to do that today. Humbly confess that you are a sinner, that you have a deep sin problem from which you are unable to rescue yourself, but you need to be rescued and believe that Jesus died on the cross in order to give you atonement and forgiveness for those sins and to rescue you from your sins and believe in Jesus as the son of the most high God born of the Virgin Mary. Now that is a biblical altar call without the altar part. But perhaps you're hearing that and your response is, I don't believe in Jesus. Perhaps you have heard this message and you don't believe what this text teaches you about the virgin conception and birth of Jesus. Perhaps you say, I can't believe in the virgin birth of Christ because that's scientifically impossible. This is so good. You expect me to believe that? Well, if you don't mind, let me read to you from someone who also denies the virgin birth of Christ. His name is Quentin Smith. He's an atheist who denies things like the virgin conception and birth of Christ. But if you were to ask Quentin Smith where the entire universe came from, he would say this to you, and I quote, the most reasonable belief is that we came from nothing, unquote. Stephen Hawking, the great mind 
once said, and I quote, the universe can create itself from nothing. Spontaneous creation is the reason why the universe exists, why we exist, unquote. What these men are suggesting sounds an awful lot like a virgin birth to me. Only what they are advocating for is the virgin birth of the entire universe out of nothing, which gives rise to every human being. And yet they cannot embrace what the Bible teaches about the virgin birth of Christ. You see, guys, if you deny the miracles of the Bible, you don't have the luxury of denying those miracles without having to create your own miracles that are even more fantastic than the Bible's. So pick your miracles wisely. Oh, that can be used in an evangelistic encounter. One way or another, you're going to believe in miracles. And realize that it is better simply to believe the word of God and the truth about Jesus, who was born of the Virgin Mary and who stands ready to be your savior and your friend. And you should also do another thing while you are at it, and that is surrender. Surrender to God the way Mary does in our passage today. Mary's response to Gabriel was, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And all of us ought to do the same thing. God wanted Christ in Mary's womb and Mary surrendered herself to that. But God actually wants Christ to come into you and dwell in you throughout the entirety of your life. Will you surrender to his love? And will you say, may it be done to me according to your word? I hope you'll respond that way today. Finally, in our passage today, we find the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaping for joy over Jesus. And we also see Mary singing a joyful hymn of praise to God. And we should be moved by the virgin conception and birth of Christ to leap for joy and to praise him too. Wherever you are and whatever you are feeling today, look to Jesus, believe in him. And if you do believe in him, realize that what the angel said to Mary, God says to you as a believer, when you love to be greeted the way Mary is greeted in verse 28, you actually are greeted this way if you are a believer in Jesus. In verse 28, Gabriel literally says to Mary, be rejoicing. And in the scripture, we as believers are commanded to be rejoicing always because God has given us a million things to rejoice in. In verse 28, Gabriel calls Mary a graced one. And in the Bible, we learn that God has graced us with the blessings of salvation. And in verse 28, Gabriel says to Mary, the Lord is with you. And Jesus says to all who follow him, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So yes, Mary was uniquely privileged to carry Christ in her womb, to have Christ inside of her for nine whole months. But because of that miracle and many other miracles, you have opportunity to allow Christ to dwell inside of you and in your heart every single day. And all of that should be powerful enough to move you from any place of perplexity, agitation, or worry, or sadness that you find yourself in today to a place of joyful worship to the Lord. That was the voice of a shepherd. Did you hear that tone? If you're here today, come to Jesus. 
If you're in Christ and you're worried, submit to Jesus. Believe his promises. That was the call of the gospel. Milton Vincent delivering it beautifully, and I would simply echo it. The Bible is elegant. No human could put together this fantastic story that is actual reality. Repent. Turn from your sins. Run to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, and he will receive you, adopt you, and call you blessed. To quote Milton Vincent, what is not to love about a Savior like that? Until tomorrow, go serve your king.